Voice Actors. Welcome to the season finale of Real People Not Actors. Thank you so much to all the listeners for joining on us on this amazing adventure that began way back on October 2nd, 2019. Feels like a lifetime ago. I'm Dylan Evans. I'm joined alongside, as always, by Bailey Green, my co-host. How are you, Bailey? Hello, hello. I am well. I am well, you know, in my apartment. Continuing on. Can you believe we began this adventure way back in October 2nd, 2019? I I can't. I remember, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really excited. I've got some gems on my phone to post on our Instagram story today Uh-oh. as we're releasing this episode. So we're going to do a little look back at some, some fun times. But Uh-oh. yeah, I can't believe we went from uh, a planning call while I was driving to Quebec to, to here to all these episodes. It's so crazy. It's wild. So on this episode, we're going to pull highlights from each of our interviews from our inaugural season There are some hilarious stories. There's some thought-provoking wisdom. And of course, none of this would exist without these incredible artists who were generous enough to make the time for us. Now, when you were listening back, Bailey, because we each split up the episodes. I took half, you took half, and we chose sections. When you were listening back, what were some things that you learned? Oh, my gosh. Oh, so much. We have come a long way. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I think I just learned as a co-host on podcasting specifically, I think I'm just learning to how to balance. I think I've learned a lot about how to balance my voice with the interviewee. Um, I think you hear it in a lot in the later episodes, uh, some more silence from us. Uh, exploring, you know, when is a good time to jump in? When is a good time to build on a story? When's the time to pivot? Um, So I think that was a big thing about learning, seeing for myself and for both of us um, and how to, and how to make that really pleasing to the ear too. Like how do we overlap each other? How do we play with a guest and joke around and not have it like become really chaotic in your ears? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's yes. the biggest thing I learned was just like how how far we've come and like how how much I still learn every single episode listening back. What about you? Um, well, one, the sound quality. You'll hear it as you're listening through from the beginning <laughs> to the end. That's the biggest one for me. Yeah. So I hope that this episode will serve as a little treat for all of our listeners who've been with us this whole way. Um, now, of course, this is the finale of season one. We're going to take a little bit of a pause here from the podcast. We're going to use this time to reflect, to re- reset. And our goal is to come back with some amazing content. But we need time in order to do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, COVID has changed so much in such a short period of time when we had some big, exciting plans for this summer, you know, we, as I'm sure many of us did, um, and those plans won't get to happen, but it just means that we're going to have to be creative and figure out the best way to keep pushing forward. So I think we're, we're really looking forward to it. We already have um, guests that we are, that are on our list for next season that we're really excited about. They don't even know that they're on our list yet, Uh, (laughs) but we are really, really looking forward to some more fantastic conversations with the artists of, of this community. Yeah. Our goal is to come back from this even better and even stronger. 
And before we dive into this episode, this best of, now's a great time to hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already, so that you know immediately when we come back, you'll get that little notification for that first episode back. So hit subscribe. Um, Also, if you have the time and you're feeling generous, you can give us a quick five-star rating if you like us. If you don't like us, then just don't give us a rating. Yeah, that's okay. You know? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Also, why are you listening if you don't like us? Do something that... Do something that brings you joy. Yeah, just skip to another pod, you know. But if you like (laughs) us, you know, share, please, social media, sharing, word of mouth. Again, we've said this before on the podcast, but we know there's so much content out there right now. And we know that can also be tiring in quarantine. But if our podcast is giving you life, is making you smile, making you think, um, please, please rate, review, share, subscribe. It means the world to us. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened so far. Mm -hmm. We would really appreciate it. So we started off our season with Mel Leon. Why don't you take it away, Bailey Green? Let's start at the beginning, shall we? We launched our first episode with Mel Leon. Mel is one of the most passionate people I know. She puts so much into her creative work, whether it's training pole over and over again until she gets that one move, or untangling a knot of classical text, or nailing a lunge in small sword. A lot of people responded to the part in her episode where she spoke about taking a break from acting, and how it's okay to question your career path, and how that time ultimately brought her back to theater. But I chose this clip for Mel because I appreciated how honest she was about struggling to balance self-care and burnout. This episode aired seven months ago, and she did manage to take that vacation after all. She went ahead and booked it. Here's Mel. How do you give back to yourself? How do you wind down? Um, I'm a big fan right now of rest is resistance. So, yeah. We have come to my weakness. (gasps) Ooh. (laughs) I'm really, really, really bad at self-care. I'm a true extrovert. I love... I get my energy from being around people. Mm -hmm. And I, I... I believe that I'm on this planet to create human connection. I like, I'm such a huge advocate for that. Uh, but because I'm such an extrovert, I do, I, I, I love, I get my energy, but I give a lot of my energy away and then I burn out. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I often feel like I'm one day away from burnout and, um, that's not great. <laughs> um, because then because I'm doing so many things, my problems or like my mistakes tend to be bigger, I guess. Um, I don't know, but I, I am bad at that. And I'm, as I get older, I'm realizing that if I'm going to have so much time for all these other things, if I'm going to be giving my time to, to all these areas, which I'm so like overjoyed with all the different things that I do, I'm so grateful uh for all the things that I have in my life but I do have to start booking self-care time (laughs) um uh, Liza who's the uh manager of the event space at the theater center uh and cafe who's my boss um was really saying like because I was saying I didn't get to take a vacation and she's like you have to book it like you just have to book it and be done with it and book it I still haven't done that because I'm, because, you know, I, I, I'm always on the, 
leaving things open for potential things, but I am really bad at that. Episode two of our podcast featured our interview with Paolo Santa Lucia. Paolo came on the show and talked about something that I'm sure we've all been guilty of doing. Do not take away from your accomplishments. Playing a role takes just as much whether you're doing it at a community theater or on the largest festival stages in the country. The character you're playing demands just as much no matter what the venue. Do not diminish your hard work. Be proud. Hearing someone who I really respect say that, and especially someone who's played on some of the most recognized stages in Canada, really made it resonate for me. Enjoy. It's so amazing that I feel, you know, I feel so lucky that I, I get to do the things that I get to do. And, um, and, 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 you know, truly, everything takes, this is something that I feel like I learned actually directing the Heart House show, is that it doesn't matter what the budget of the thing that you're doing is. It doesn't matter whether you're directing a show at Soul Pepper or Heart House or uh, the Alumni Theater. It, it takes the same amount of work to put on a play, no matter where you're putting on a play. So if you decide to, to put on a play... God help you. If that's what you want to do, <laughs> uh, you know, it, you might as well just embrace the fact that it's going to take the same amount of work no matter what institution you're doing it in and and put all of yourself into it because tech is hard no matter where you're doing tech, you know. Q to Q is stressful no matter where you're doing Q to Q. And so I just feel like at the end of the day, it was like, it, it and it remains uh it's for me really important to just make sure that everything everything's happening to the fullest it can because it, those those facts of theater making don't change just because you work at an institution or you're working independently or you know you you have some downtime or you don't auditions are brutal <laughs> uh, you know like they're really hard um, um, rehearsing is is hard it's a huge responsibility playing a lead pl you know playing Hamlet at Harthouse is not different than playing Hamlet at Stratford I don't think you know it, it takes the same you still have to memorize the same words and you're still working at the same level and um, that's what makes theater so exciting and so amazing for me or film I mean I don't I don't work a lot but it's the same if you're if anyone who's independently producing a film that they're making that, that's probably more work than, yeah. than than you know getting hired and and and, and showing up on set every day so it's uh, it's a huge privilege to be an artist I think and um, and honestly Part of part of the ability to to you know staying in motion, I guess, is is just also making sure that I really make sure that I'm I'm honest with myself about my my passion for a thing, because I know that if I'm not super engaged with something that I'm leading, especially, then it'll just it'll just kind of wither. Brian McLaughlin is undeniably hilarious on stage, off stage. That's just a true fact. When she's performing, she's so in the moment. She has this open vulnerability and impeccable comedic timing. One of those people that you think, wow, I just cannot wait to see them next. One of the things Bria talked about in the episode was how great it is to date someone not in the arts. Their partner, Monica, was actually a silent audience member in this interview, which was a lot of fun. Monica is currently on the front lines of the pandemic as an ICU nurse. So I just wanted to take a moment and say a sincere thank you to Monica for all of your hard work. Thank you so much. For those of us who are not essential workers, let's keep staying home and holding our government accountable to support healthcare workers. So I could say this for every episode, but it was incredibly hard to pick a clip from Bria's interview. 
Their soapbox segment speaks for itself. If you haven't heard it, please find episode three and hit play. I'm not going to tell you where it is in the episode, so you just have to listen. In the clip I chose for our best of, they share an audition story that had us crying of laughter. I'll let Bria tell it. I've been to a lot of weird auditions. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Do you have any audition stories recently? Yeah, yeah? I did have a wild one not long ago. Um, I was auditioning for, uh, I think it was a commercial, and I was uh, supposed to be a ghost expert. So it was the callback. <gasps> and I did, like, two takes, and they like liked what I did. It was, like, very, like, like uh, what's the name? Um, Billy something, the infomercial guy. Oh, um, oh, like, uh, oh, oh my, it's, someone's yelling it out chop? on the subway no. right now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. the slap chop. Um, the slap chop guy, that thing. No, those, those are two no, different guys, yeah, though. Two guys. Billy Mays. Billy, Billy Mays. Mays. Yeah. Something that okay. Billy, Billy Mays. Mays. Billy Mays. Okay, that feels right. Yeah. Sick. The slap, slap chop guy slap was different. Chop's different yeah, yeah, guy. He, yeah. yeah, yeah, he got into some drama. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, it happened. But, so, the I have been a ghost expert. So, I was doing this ghost expert thing. They liked a couple of takes, and then, straight up... I shit you not, this guy turns to me with a straight face, and he looks me in my face and says to me, <laughs> he goes, can you do it like you're the goat? <laughs> and then he goes, and that's why you're the expert. And then he fucking stabs, like, just waited for me to do this scene like I'm a ghost and therefore an expert. And I was like... It's like some sixth sense <laughs> shit. <laughs> I was like... First of all, there's no way that's what your bosses are telling you is the story. How do you play that? Do you just... I am an I was like, where does the frame stop? And then I just like floated. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. No, you book didn't. Him. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that tape of real levitating. And then you just played it straight after that? <laughs> with we were like friends from another job and so at the end of the, the scene he goes put her there and like puts his hand up for a handshake I'm like bro I'm a ghost <laughs> I can't I can't <laughs> Patrick if you're listening I remember that that's when you go <laughs> that was funny man <laughs> oh my god I'm yeah. dead I've heard a lot of my director friends say that in the casting process, they don't always know what they're looking for in a character, and that it's not until an actor comes in the room and makes a strong choice that they're hit with inspiration. Jeff Young taught us on episode 4 of the podcast the importance of being bold and brave. Even the nicest person in the world can get typecast as a villain. My neighbors hate me. Well, you also, uh, you're working on a show called Bakugan, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, and it's on Netflix now. Yes, It's it an is, animated yeah. series. Yes, yeah. Um, it's, I watched the first episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, Dylan. Oh, thanks, Dylan. It's very reminiscent of kind of like a, a, a Digimon or a Pokemon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you play a bad guy yeah, again. Yeah, I do. Uh, named Masato Kazami. Yes. Did I get that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what's something that you've learned about voice acting since uh, you got this part? Um, I was brand new to voice acting. I only recently started doing it. And so the one thing that I've learned from, from voice acting 
specifically on Bakugan because it is kind of like in that anime-ish vein, is that um, because there is, it's a cartoon, it's a flat 2D character, and there's no nuance in the expression, there's, there has to be no nuance in your performance. So when I go into do a recording session and they're like, hey, this line's angry, you just have to be extremely angry and you have to go. So what's, what's incredible too is that you, you learn as an actor to really stick to that choice and just go to the nth degree with it. And then if it ever gets like too crazy, which it, it never has for me in a recording session, they've never been like, oh, it's too much, pull it back. Really? Yeah, uh, like, you know, there's people there who, you know, the, the, the voice kind of director's there and, and, and she'll be like, hey, like, pull it back. Yeah. But it's ne- honestly, it's never happened. And um, in a way, it actually helps. It helped me understand like, oh, this is also the way that you should always, you know, when you're in a rehearsal hall, maybe not in film, but like definitely on, uh, with stage, like when you're in a rehearsal hall, make a choice, go with it. And then that's what your director and your co- and your, and you know, your co-actors can be like, hey, maybe that's a bit <laughs> like when you're in my face and you like, yeah, you get to your next theater yeah. job and you're just yelling at everybody. <laughs> Like I'm uh, can, can you give me a little taste of uh, your your character, just so we can uh, we can hear? Right. I mean, Masato essentially is just this—he's the same as as me. <laughs> um, a lot of the other actors on the show do a different voice. Right. He's got—he um, has this like <laughs> semi-maniacal laugh, which is not how I laugh. It's kind of like I'm gonna move. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like <laughs> which is like really not how I ever laugh. But it, it was funny because I went, I did that on the first session as a choice, and then it just like stuck. In the next clip, these two guests now have fancy new last names since we recorded their episode, Jade and Drew Duras O'Hara. So I thought I knew Jade and Drew pretty well, but there was a lot about their episode that surprised me. I learned all about their past as professional child actors and what the transition was like for each of them into professional actor adulthood. It was also the first time Dylan and I had two guests on the podcast at one time, which was definitely a learning curve for us, but it was a lot of fun. Jade and Drew are incredibly supportive people, supportive friends, supportive artists, and they are each other's biggest cheerleaders. I chose this clip because Drew and Jade were also really honest about the challenges navigating the industry as a couple. This question actually came from our talkback. Thank you to all our listeners who submit questions you think of things we never could, and it's one of the reasons we do the talkback. Disclaimer, I cringe really hard listening to myself in this clip. Enjoy. Uh, Next question is from at Noah underscore Spitzer. He asks... What's it like being with another theater artist, and what's the biggest challenge? Professional jealousy. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. going yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, it's real. Like, of course, everyone who... I'm glad is, you said it, because it is. Other, yeah. other theater artists... You have to get really comfortable addressing your professional jealousy with each other and addressing when that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that probably is something that, like, if you are afraid to say that that's how you're feeling, then it is just going to spill over into other things, and it's going to come out as... Uh, other like issues that are not actually the thing, and so it's I'm just, nodding oh. so hard my bun is almost yeah. falling yeah, off. Yeah, really hard. I mean, especially <laughs> bun's like, gonna fly off especially because Jade and I work in in the same kind of niche. Like we're both classical theater actors. 
like mostly. So we're often going out with the same kinds like of like shows, not the same, not like the same parts, part but the same, same kinds show, of shows. Yeah. And like we had, um, we both auditioned for a show in Halifax a couple weeks ago, and uh, in and we were both really excited about it, and uh, like. We, we worked really hard, audition. and we helped each other with our auditions. Yeah. And it wasn't even, it was it was just they were calling back for the part that Drew was in for, and they weren't do, even doing callbacks for the part that I was going out for. Mm. But then what happened was Drew got a callback, and he, like, kept working on the audition material, because he had to, like obviously. I had three days between auditions, so yes. I had to keep working on this But, thing. you know, I'm trying to do the thing where you do your audition, and then you forget about it so that yeah. you don't dwell on it, and it drove me up the wall for three days. And afterwards, I had to be like, just so you know, um... I like fully support you and I love you, but just the last three days have like cost me a lot. And so now I really need us to leave this audition at the door. As actors, our job is to be storytellers. Akosia Amoadem is an all-star storyteller. On episode six, she blew us away with her hilarious and vulnerable stories. Now, I have to shout out Bailey Green for one of her many tremendous questions. She asks Akosia about where she was in her life when she was honored with the cover of Now Magazine back in 2016. It served as a great reminder that what we see online or in print doesn't always tell the whole story. Have a listen. I wanted to ask about your Now Magazine cover. Mm -hmm. And I think the Now Magazine cover is this really interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember reading a piece from Christine Horn that was in intermission, back in intermission's early days, about how the month that her Now cover came out, she couldn't pay her rent. Mm. And yeah. she was like, this is supposed to be this like huge deal. I'm I'm on the Now, the cover of Now. Like, this is such a coveted thing, and and yet I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. um, so you, I was just curious, what, what, where were you at in your life when that Now magazine cover came out? And do you remember what that experience was like, seeing yourself on it? In 2016. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God, I was living with my aunt. <laughs> I was living with my aunt and my cousins because um, prior to, like, Venus's Darter starting... I had the, the apartment that I was living in, uh, the landlord was selling the apartment, so I had oh. to move out. And I had no place to go. I had no money <laughs> to, and I couldn't afford a place on my own. So I literally, and, and my, my parents, where my family lives, the, it, there was just no space for me there. So I was living with my aunt <laughs> when, this cover, when this cover came out. And even when, even when it came out, my family... <laughs> Like, my cousins were really excited for me. They're like, oh, my God, that's my cousin. She's on the cover. <laughs> and, but then, like, I bring it to my mom. <laughs> and my mom, I'm, like, showing her the cover. I'm like, Mom, look, it's me on the cover. She looks at it. She's like, what is wrong with your neck? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Mom. <laughs> She's like, what's this now magazine? But like, <laughs> I'm on the cover of a newspaper. Your one daughter is on the cover of a newspaper, and you, your first response, not even congratulations, not oh, I'm so proud of you. It's what's that on your neck? Pointing out my neck fat, ladies. <laughs> If it's worth anything, I thought your neck looked amazing. Thank yeah, you. you're welcome. Thank you, Dylan. I was like, Mommy, can you say you're proud? And she said, Oh, no, I'm proud, I'm proud, I'm proud. Of course I'm proud, but your neck. 
Emilio Vieira and I were in the midst of rehearsing Cymbeline with Shakespeare Bashed when we recorded this episode. He played Clotten, I played Bassanio. Emilio is the kind of actor that's always looking out for his scene partners, while continuing to push and challenge himself in his own process, all the way until closing night. And he always kept me laughing in the room, and this interview was no different. Turns out, he has a Gilbert Gottfried impression. You really never know what actors are holding in their back pockets. So in the clip I chose, he shares about coming back to Toronto after three seasons working at the Stratford Festival, finding his footing in a time of uncertainty and transition, and how he slowly began to build a community again. Here's Emilio. You're back in Toronto. You were in Stratford for three seasons? Three seasons. Three seasons. What was that transition like coming back to Toronto? And now, I mean, obviously getting to work with Shakespeare Bash and everything like that, but what's that transition from living in Stratford for that long to then coming back to Toronto? I think uh, money is the first thing that <laughs> jumps out at me. Uh, the cost of living in Toronto is very, very high. Um, all of the work that I was doing in Stratford uh, was paying quite well. Obviously, it's one of the best paying contracts you can have for a long extended period of time in the theater. Um, on top of the standard of or the, the cost of living there is um, reasonably affordable. So coming back to Toronto and finding an apartment and trying to also find work and then thinking about Joe jobbing again, like all of that was so, so, so difficult. I felt like for months I didn't really touch the ground. I was saying to friends of mine, you know, like, forgive me, we'll, we'll have coffee next week or the week after, you know, I'll, I'll see you, I will. I, I just need to put my feet in the earth. And uh, to be honest, it has taken the full year. Only now in retrospect, when I look back at, you know, meeting you, Dylan, or like, hanging out at, at bashed parties and shows and um, getting to know people particularly more in the Crows community and the Canadian stage community, even like Howlin' Friends, like stuff like that. All of that kind of happened to me while I was saying, oh God, I'm not doing anything and my feet aren't on the ground. I don't feel set. Um, so it was probably more of a state of mind than anything. Uh, but I'm, I'm freeing myself from that now. It's so good to be home. It feels really good to... Uh, to have Toronto identity again, uh, and to know that with that comes um, the experience of the time I had at Stratford, but none of the like mystification of ooh Stratford actor like I re I really uh, I hate that. Uh, I'd like to try to dismantle that as much as possible. It does it does continue to happen where people sort of have an opinion about what that means. Um, uh, if anything, I hope it just means that people know that they can ask me about the experience and that I'll be honest, um, that I had some really wonderful times there and also some really challenging times there that just like any other place, it is just a place to work. Um, so, yeah, coming home has been about just reassuming an identity of like, yeah, this is where home is. Uh, however, the work will always take me wherever it's going to take me. And that was a decision I made with myself very early on in my career that if something comes up, go try it, see what's up, follow that path somewhere. And I just happened to have uh, a deep passion for Shakespeare. I just happened to book some Shakespeare straight out of theater school. And then that happened to lead to Stratford. And here I am now um, doing a bashed show, you know, with this wicked little indie company. And they do not have the budget that Stratford has, but they they have all of the heart and more. 
episode eight of the podcast was a huge tonal shift for us. This was the first time we had brought characters onto the show, the Diddlin' Bibbles. It was a super fun experiment, which totally clashes with the title of our podcast. It also gave Bailey and I an opportunity to sit back and listen and laugh a lot. When it came to choosing a chunk for the best of episode, this was a tough one for me to choose. Do I choose the section where we talk about quail balls or the mattress in the woods? In the end, I went with this little section about Instagram and fame. Because, as we all know, the best way to get famous is through theater. LOL. Not. I remember I, I saw the two of you at the Toronto Fringe in 2017. And one of the questions I, I thought of was, how have you managed to make this marriage work for so long? Because I remember uh, in 2017, you saying uh, during the show that there was some fear that the fame was going to tear the two of you apart. Well, mm-hmm. it, it almost did, as you saw maybe during that show. That was a, a big story part of that show was the fame did get a little bit to to Rosemary's head, and well, you got a little too big for your britches. Well, I've Let's learned. Let's not pull any punches here. I think that's what happened. Well, I've learned since through therapy that I am a full blown narcissist, and I have to navigate that every day, because I, you know, and Jessup has to 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 be understanding, well, I, I and I have to. Be I, I have a problem with just having no self respect at all and completely devoting myself to another human being to mm-hmm. find self-worth and serving to serve whatever you need i'll be your footrest you're I'll very your dependent toes. i don't me. yes yeah so that's that's how we find a balance really that's that's i think any, i take any relationship you give, there's always a taker and a giver but we communicate through yeah them. yeah um so so we've we've managed to stick it out mm-hmm. um but n- n- ain't nobody saying marriage is easy and nobody's saying that our relationship's perfect and no. I don't think relationships can be perfect. I don't think that perfection actually exists. Instagram tries to tell us it does. Instagram but it is the devil. It is the devil. Yeah. Not a Christian devil. We're not Christian. Nope. It's always confusing. It's owned by Mark Zuckerberg, We're just using who's it also as a, a devil. Yeah. And, you know, he steals your information and sells it to corporations and to the Russians and whatever else he's doing. Yeah. He's just, uh, he's honestly maybe a robot. But also maybe a robot possessed by a devil. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but it's not It's good. evil. Yeah. yeah. And we're all going to suffer. Have you seen those videos of him uh, talking about barbecuing? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Sorry, please explain. Well, there's just videos on YouTube of him saying, you know, we've got the smoker out here and we're going to make some brisket. And he's just dead behind the eyes. There's no life. He but is he's a making brisket. What's more joyful than brisket? And why is there no joy when he's talking mm, about it? It's this is why I'm convinced that he was a robot possessed by a devil. Very suspect. Yes. So a lot has happened in two years it, for Zuckerberg, for, for all of us. And, you know, two years ago, you know, you were going through this huge transition. And as you mentioned, you know, going to therapy and really working on yourself and that self-awareness. And I hear that from you too, Jessup. Um where do you hope to be in the next two years? Where do you foresee the bibbles? Hopefully heading? not in a ditch. Yeah. I'd never met this guest before in person, before our interview, but I'd seen her on stage. And Cynthia Jimenez-Hicks is just a ray of sunshine. I think the thing that stands out to me about her episode is her commitment to her craft. It's just so evident. 
Dylan and I were so looking forward to seeing her in Stratford Festival's Wendy and Peter Pan in the role of Wendy. My heart goes out to Cynthia and so many other artists who have had to say goodbye or so long for now to wonderful productions affected by COVID-19. Dylan and I promised we'd avoid the video quotes we chose on Instagram, but Cynthia's response to this talkback question was so powerful, I had to share it. I chose this clip because I really admired how she advocated for herself and her needs. That's no small feat. And as Cynthia says, it's a reminder to consider when we can use our voice to support others in the room. Uh, okay, next question on the talkback. Hopefully I don't make an idiot of myself this time. Um, comes from at Melanie Ellen, <gasps> friend of the podcast. Friend of the pod. Uh, she says, hi, Cynthia. Any strategies for dealing with difficult people in the rehearsal room? Ooh. XO. I guess maybe XOXO. we'll... XOXO. Gossip girl. girl. <laughs> we'll try to not expose anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> no, it's a great question. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who... I think it depends on the room you're in and the environment you're in uh, just because you know there's different protocols between working in an indie setting if you're working with mostly pals versus working for a bigger institution that have um, like specific protocols of how to go about things um, my can you say the question again just yeah any strategies for dealing with difficult people in mm-hmm. the rehearsal mm-hmm. room um, I would say first and foremost, prioritizing um, your own well-being and safety, uh, and then of course everyone else's, um, and like using a stage manager for what they're there to do. Um, I know it can be tough. There's a fine line with stage managers of doing their jobs and uh, not babysitting, but babysitting us <laughs> as actors. Um, but often, like they are there to be leaders in the room. Uh, depending on the situation, of course. Um, and I've had times where, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll give a, a good example that'll still keep it general. Um, it was pretty fresh after Me Too movement started. And I think as a culture, we all went through very different waves of how we processed and went through what that culture was that was changing and things that were coming out and new things we were learning. Um, and the concept of uh, not in our space all of a sudden became very um, relevant in rooms, I guess, and talked about way more. And um, I was in a rehearsal hall where people thought it was really funny to make, to, to joke about the concept of not in our space. Um, and again, there's a fine line in that because I have been in the odd situation where it might be a little passing joke and there was nothing really at stake, so whatever. But this was a particular time where I remember hearing someone joke about it in the room and it made me feel a little eh inside. Um, and then like moments passed and someone else joked about it and then someone else joked about it and then all of a sudden it became a joke that half the room was laughing about. Um, and I will add that most of the people laughing about it in the room were men. Um, and again, I recognize that sometimes this is how this is how people process difficult things is turning it into humor. Um, but like for me at the time, I was having a lot of my own uh, stuff to deal with in, in response to that movement. And it was also like super fresh. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And after that moment happened a couple times in rehearsal, uh, I just went to the stage manager the next day and I was like, can I talk to you privately? And I explained to her, I was like, hey, this joke happened. Um, it really wasn't cool with me. Um, I can't handle that joke very well right now. And and uh, and at the time when the actual joke happened, it just triggered something in me that made me have to run to the bathroom and cry by myself for five minutes. Um, and uh, the stage manager was great when I talked to her about it. She was like, yep, I totally agree. And she was like, if it comes up again, I'll make sure I do something. And um, amazingly, like within hours, the exact same joke happened. <laughs> and like the 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 uh, conversation started to uh, uncover in the same way. And then my stage manager just jumped in and was like, hey, guys, that's not really a, a cool thing to joke about. Let's not make a joke out of that. Let's uh, let's move on. Get back to work. And she just like nipped in the butt and and moved on. Um, and so especially because power dynamics is such a constant thing we are dealing with in these rehearsal rooms. And as actors, we are often at the bottom of the food chain, especially if you're a younger, newer actor in the room. Um, and depending on what your relationship with is, what your relationship with the director is, um, I knew that was a room where I didn't feel like I had a ton of power in, but I went to somebody who did and she took the control that I needed her to take. Um, so, so yeah, that's just my specific example of it. And I think... Um, we should not be afraid to step up because awesome stage managers like that exist and they will step in when they need to. Um, and sometimes if you don't have that stage manager, there's someone in the room who can be that person for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes you know when you are that person who can step up and say something. Mm -hmm. uh, but just like knowing who your allies are in the room who can help you with that is important. We hit double digits in style. Felix Beauchamp rolled into the recording with the freshest cut you've ever seen. Felix also opened up about his personal growth from a self-proclaimed perfectionist to being more free. Right and wrong don't exist in the arts. Have fun. Make room in your life for things outside of acting. I'm always blown away by the skills actors develop in their pastimes to have fun. Because you know what? If acting doesn't work out, there's always Fuzcon. My question is, if you were able to go back and give yourself one piece of advice, um, maybe before you went to theater school, um, what, what would you say to your young self as an actor? What piece of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I would say just try to like enjoy it more. Mm. Um, don't like be so fussed about working so hard and like trying to get it right or perfect I feel like this concept of like right or wrong just doesn't exist in the arts and it took me many years to to discover that um yeah I just I, I always tried to you know have it be the best it could or whatever but like just following your impulse sometimes leads to really great things you know so yeah definitely that it, it's easy to think that, you know, just keep working on it, keep working, keep learning the line, keep working, like running the monologue over and over and over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be perfect. But at some point, you're going to walk into the space. I'm assuming it's an audition in my brain right yeah. now, but you're going to walk in the space and be thrown off by something and you have to be able to adapt. Totally. So just like totally. be free, be loose. Yeah. And like yeah. oftentimes that's where like the best work comes from, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like when you're in that zone of like being free and like playful. And like you're just like riffing with like the director or whatever and like things come up like that's that's art yeah and that's art, that's art. <laughs> do you have anything on your on your resume uh, a very obscure skill um, 
anything that you want to share with the people, um, whether it's whether it is on your resume or maybe it should what be on Dylan your resume. What does Dylan know that I don't? <laughs> is there any like thing you're totally. really good at? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I play foosball. There it is. <laughs> I am a very good foosball player. If I wasn't an actor, I'd be a professional foosball player. I swear if there was Olympics, foosball, he'd be on the team. <laughs> There's got to be a league. I don't know. There's... We don't know, yeah. How but... did you get so good without being in a league? <laughs> uh, we had a table when I grew up in my basement at home. Uh, and my dad and I would play after dinner like every night. Aww. So yeah, like I eventually like I became better than my dad. Like he would let me win like most times, and then eventually I just <laughs> I guess just got really good. And then yeah, yeah. I've always told Felix his like side hustle should be to go to bars <laughs> and just hustle people. Yeah, just bet people money. And... You could make so much money, Felix. Why aren't you doing this? I just don't think like that many people play foosball. Like, if it was pool, then for sure. It's but. not about that many people playing foosball, practicing foosball. It's about going to bars and duping people. <laughs> Dylan! <laughs> <laughs> Ethics, Dylan! What, what did we call it? It was the Foozcon? Foozcon. <laughs> yeah. So Dylan would, like, be the guy who would, like, he'd be like, oh, like, I, I lost again to this guy. Like, he, he's so good. Like, if anyone in this bar could beat him, like, that would be incredible. So, like, we are being slightly honest and upfront in the fact that we're saying he's good. It's true. Like, you're not saying he's not good. Oh, Siri, please. Uh, <laughs> I think Siri has a question. <laughs> uh, Siri, that's enough. It, it's not like you're saying, like, oh, this guy's so not good. And then you're like, blam. No, I mean, you're we, telling... I mean, we could do that at some point if the first plan doesn't work. Okay. But... Yeah, like, if I if I fail as an actor, like, foosball is my, is my deal, for Great. sure. Great. Yeah. It's good to have a backup, they say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure there's, like, people way better than me. Like, the Olympics must be crazy. Uh, I don't Sorry. know if there is an Olympic I team for foosball. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut the that Olympics out. The Olympics must be crazy. <laughs> or the Olympic, like, level, I meant. Sure. I'll be the first, and I'm sure I won't be the last, to say that I'm kind of in awe of Tony Afori. Tony was our last interview before the quarantine. Things were shutting down rapidly, but I don't think any of us realized what was to come. But back to Tony. The level of care and preparation that goes into his artistry was so clear to me in this interview. Fun fact, he's also terrified of mice. In the clip I chose, Tony speaks about learning to let go of not getting the role and how an incident two years ago really stuck with him and how he learned from it. Since we often talk about rejection in this industry, this clip really stood out to me as a way to move through it. And as Tony says later in his own episode, he says rejection isn't failure. And I couldn't agree more. Here's Tony. In, in your career so far, when you've had those moments that have perhaps felt like failures in the moment, um, how did you cope with that? And, and what did you learn from going through those experiences? Um, one thing I always try to tell myself that is that um, not every role is for me. Mm. Um, not every job is mine. And, and it, it, it's not personal. It's business. And um, there was a time, uh, I think this was... Two years ago, I I went into to do this audition for this play, and I absolutely crushed this. Like I walked out of there, and I'm like, 
I feel sorry for anybody who's after me, like, honestly. And when I got the call back, I was not even surprised. I just laughed. I tilted my head and I laughed. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I got a call back. And I went in there and I, I did the audition. They're like, oh, my God, amazing. Like, we'll, we'll have you read for another scene. And I'm like, of course you'll have me read for another scene. Like, this is it. And uh, in the end, I did not get, get the role. And I spoke to my agent and I'm like what like in total I memorized I maybe swallowed uh, 25 pages of dialogue and to not get the part I'm like what and no 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 you go to them and and she's like she's like um, it, it doesn't mean you're not good like they were they were considering you they they apologized they were very disappointed that they couldn't cast you but there's a number of factors that goes into casting and sometimes it, it can't be you yeah. for for many reasons that are out of your control that have nothing to do with your talent have nothing to do with your mm. preparation sometimes it can't be you and um I, I think that was a good lesson um to not take anything personal just go in there do my job make my offer and then from there, it's out of my hands. You you fold the sides in half, and you look for the blue bin, and you put it in there, and you just look for whatever's coming next, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's been extremely helpful um, going into auditions and not booking roles. Well, that concludes our season finale of Real People, Not Actors. Season one, it's in the books. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Bailey Green, I'm sad. I don't know how to say goodbye right now. I know. Me either. I, you know, COVID-19 has changed a lot for a lot of people and it's changed our plans too. We had some really cool stuff planned for the summer, as I'm sure many people did. Um, So yeah, we're kind of left with a question mark. But what's not a question mark is we are going to be back. We are going to bring you a season two. We have guests. Uh, well, we have ideas for guests. They don't They don't know yet that we hope they'll be our guests. Be yes. Our, uh, but. They will be getting an owl in the mail. Yes. With their, yes. their letters. <laughs> and that is our promise to you. Um, but yeah, we are going to be back and better than ever bringing you a season two. Um so make, even make sure you that, follow us too so that you know about these our announcements and that we're coming back. Tell us more about that, Dylan. I would love to tell you more about that, Bailey. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at realpeople.notactors. We'll make an announcement there when we're ready to come back or on Twitter at not underscore actors. And you can look for our season two updates. You can also shoot us a DM if you want or an email at podcast.rpna at gmail.com. And you can let us know what you want to see in season two. We love getting your feedback. Ultimately, we want to cater this podcast to be something that you want to listen to. So we love taking your questions and let us know what you want more of. Yes. And we have a lot of thank yous, but I think we'll start with our listeners Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to those of you who have commented on our Instagram posts or found a quote engaging. Thank you to everyone who submitted talkback questions. You know, as you heard in our Best Of episode, some really, really fantastic stuff came out of your questions. And we just so appreciate you engaging with the material and enjoying the content and sharing that with us. 
This would be nothing without the listeners. So thank you so much. It also would be nothing without our guests. Thank you to yeah. each of them for joining us. There, really, I'm blown away by how kind and generous everyone was with their time. And for me personally, it's really helped to humanize our industry. It's just been so nice to connect with everybody and 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 learn about who they are on a human level. Yeah, absolutely. There were guests that I knew better than Dylan, that Dylan knew better than me, that one of us hadn't personally met before. I think, Dylan, did that happen to you for any of the episodes? I know it happened to me. I, th- I think I had met every single guest we had. Okay, so just me then. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was such a joy. And we are just so grateful to our guests for taking a leap on a brand new podcast and putting themselves out there and being vulnerable. Um, we know how hard that is. Yeah, we know uh, that now because we've done it. <laughs> yeah, and we know it can be a weird experience listening back to yourself. I was but like, oh my God, honestly, we put people through this? <laughs> You're all brilliant, and you said so many brilliant things. So thank you. Thank you. And without further ado, this is goodbye. For now. For now. So long. We will see you all very soon. In the meantime, please stay healthy. Please stay happy. And most importantly, stay stay real. real.